Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. I just got off a weekend of camp, so I'm a little bit tired, but we're going to get through this thing together. I'm going to open up us I'm going to open us up in prayer real quick and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much. We come, God, because you are good. Lord, you're never going to let us down. Uh, even when we're tired, even when we're stressed, when we're anxious, Lord, when we feel like there's, there's nowhere else to go, God, uh, we can turn to you and know that you are never, ever going to let us down. So God, we just ask that you would make us aware of your presence. Lord, you're here. You're here with us. We're thankful. God, hide me deep in your cross. Uh, and, and may these people hear your word that I speak and take it to heart. Lord, may it change lives. And we lift up Callie and Jern as they are at home, one with a bad back, another expecting, expecting a baby. Lord, so uh, we just ask that you be with them and be with us this morning as we dive into this next 30 minutes and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, well, you know the church is doing something right, I think. No, it is doing something right. Uh, when you have people like Juan going out to church camps and giving testimonies and talking about how he can do ministry in the workplace over a weekend. So I just got back from, from a, a, a boys retreat out at Victory Mountain Camp in Sofia where we took um, from Foster Street only two, but I, I'm going to say there was probably close to 200 maybe kids there, roughly. Um, so there was probably 200 kids there from all throughout North Carolina, just, just men or just boys. And we went out there just to talk about what ministry looks like in a, a secular context. So um, y'all know that Juan is a mortician. We had people out there who were sheriffs and we had others out there who owned Zaxby's and all this stuff. So there were, these, there were people from all over the place. And the, they got to give their testimony and share with kids about what it looks like to be a godly man in a secular context. And, and Juan was one of those people. And Juan, um, I just I was so glad to see you out there over this weekend. You know the church is doing something right when we're sending people like Juan out there. Not only that, but the man, how many chicken legs you cooked this weekend? 300 chicken legs. I mean, that, that's what I'm talking about. Them things were good. Them things were good. I had them last night. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to hear the, the speaker last night, but um, just throughout the Friday evening and then throughout all day yesterday, I definitely seen boys uh, grow closer to the Lord, grow closer to each other, and they got something out of all these testimonies. And so I know that this church is doing something right by getting people like Juan out to church, out to church camps to be able to talk to youth kids like that. Um, so just know that y'all are doing something right, and that, that very, it's very encouraging to me. But to open up, uh, I have this concept 
I call it a concept. Has anybody heard of this concept or this? Maybe it's a club, and it's probably a little bit of an exclusive club. I know I'm, I'm part of the club. Has any, is anybody else in here alumni or, or a part of the, the Clean Plate Club? The Clean Plate Club. Can I, can I see some hands? Clean Plate Club. Yeah, all right, so the Clean Plate Club is when you go to a restaurant with your family, or maybe it's not even a restaurant. You go to, you, you're at dinner with your family, you're eating with your family, and you are one of the elite who clean all their food off their plate. That's the Clean Plate Club. And I remember entering, my first time entering into the Clean Plate Club. I, I consider myself alumni now. Nobody really monitors if I clean my plate off or not. I'm, I'm a little old, I'm, you know. For somebody to be monitoring um, how much food I intake or how much I even put on my plate, right? But I remember the first time, and the first time I was inducted into the Clean Plate Club, and, and maybe you call it something else, but for us it was the Clean Plate Club, um, was when I was eating at Dixie Three Restaurant. Can I get an amen? amen? That's what I'm talking about. Dixie Three is good. That hamburger steak, somebody, come on. Uh, first time I was ever inducted into the Clean Plate Club Oh gosh, who knows how old I was. I was probably eight, seven or eight years old. We would go to Dixie Three all the time with my dad. And he would not let us get anything but diced hot dog. Like that's all we could get. At the, in the whole restaurant, like that's all we were allowed to get was diced hot dog. Because um, we had to order off the kids menu, right? We were young. And one thing on the kids menu was a chicken leg. But he was like, no, that'll take too long for them to make. You're getting diced hot dogs. So, <laughs> so. I mean, me, I got my sister up front, and uh, we just sat there, and we would eat diced hot dog. Just, I mean, we'd fork that stuff down, clean plate club, right? So, uh, so that was the first time that ever came up. I sit there, I had diced hot dog on my plate, and I don't know about y'all, but when I'm eating just a plain hot dog, I, I want to throw up. There's nothing good about a plain hot dog. Uh, I mean, you can have, especially if there's not even a bun, like at least if you have the bun, it kind of mellows out the taste of I mean, especially if you think about what a hot dog is. I mean, come on, guys. Like, we got a problem with what we're eating here in America. Um, but if, if, if it's just a plain hot dog and that's all it is, I'm, I'm grossed out. So I, I have to have a bun, some chili, some slaw, some mustard, uh, no onions. If you, if you like onions, you need to go see a therapist, um, especially raw onions. That stuff's nasty. But I'm sitting there, and I have this, this diced hot dog in front of my face. I'm probably wanting to throw up each and every bite, but... Dad comes up with this concept. He says, um, all right, guys, clean plate club. You have to finish everything on your plate to be a part of the, of the clean plate club. Pretty self-explanatory. And so he's like, eat everything, and then you'll get a prize, or, or you'll, you'll, you'll get something. Well, he didn't tell us what we were getting exactly. So then the, the, the expectation was intensified, right, because... Not only, like, if he would have said, like, you're getting this, then we would have known what to expect, and then we could have weighed the option of whether we actually wanted to clean the plate or not and by scarfing down that absolutely disgusting diced hot dog. Nothing on Dixie 3, um, any hot dog that's just sitting there diced and plain is gross. Um, so we didn't even know what prize we were getting until after we finished, and so you really wanted to finish your plate. You really wanted to be a part of this club because you wanted to know what the prize was that you were getting. And so I know, I know at least I finished my plate. This is the first memory I have anyways. This is the...
I have to because we may have bad batteries. Alex, you want to bring me that thing? Okay. All right. Sorry, guys. Uh, T TD, technical difficulties. Uh, just made that one up. All right. So I, I clean my plate off. Dinner's over. Where's the prize at, right? So we go to pay, and everybody knows that. We will see how this goes. Thank you. All right, so there's a room. There's this little lobby-ish room. I don't know what is considered a Dixie 3. It's actually quite weird for, like, a restaurant. It's the little room, right? Everybody knows that when you're going out of this room, there are gumball machines on the left. Going out, it's on the left. Coming in, it's on the right. So guess what? Gumball. That's the prize for the Clean, ba clean Plate Club. And let me just tell you, that was the greatest gumball I've ever had in my life. That was the greatest gumball I've ever had in my life. There was nothing special about the gumball. The gumball. It was just the fact that I was now a part of this elite club, the Clean Plate Club, and I got a gumball for the, for the prize. And so the instruction was to clean the plate off, and the promise was to get a prize or to get a gumball. And so that's what happened. And you can see this, this played out in life in, in all kinds of situations, in instruction leading to promise. Let's just think of Santa Claus, right? If you're good, there's the instruction. If you're good year-round, right, the promise is, well, you, you're, you're going to wake up to a gift, right? That's, that's what Santa Claus does. Um, I, I'm a wrestling coach. And I give my, peop my kids instruction and promise all the time. One thing at the very end of practice that, that we do every single practice is we condition because these guys got to get in shape. And trust me, if you could see the wrestling team that I have right now, they really need to get in shape. Um, so I, I give them instruction and I also give them promise. So I'm like, I instruct them like, if you give me all you got for the next 10 minutes, we'll end practice. That's the promise. So give me all you got for 10 minutes. The promise is we end practice. If you don't give me all we got for 10 minutes, we'll go 15. Then we'll end practice. But if you slack off for the 15, we'll go 20. I don't care. We, we can play this game all day. I'm just telling you what to do. I'm not the one doing the conditioning, right? So um, I'm just kidding. I'm not that mean. But, but we see this played out all over the place. Like instruction leads to promise. And we can even see this played out in, in our relationship with Jesus in our in our in in Christian in the religion that is Christianity, right? What's the instruction for Christianity? Well, to follow Christ, to to accept Him as the Lord and Savior into our lives, to live right, to live holy, to love God, to love others, and to help others love God. So I love God, I love you, I help you love God. Those are three directions of love that if we can nail down in this life. Um, well, that's the instruction, right? We'll receive the promise of heaven. So we have the instruction to love God, love others, help others love God, right? In that, you can encapsulate everything. Because if you love God, you're going to live right. If you love others, you're going to treat them right. And if you help others love God, you're making disciples. Like That encapsulates practically everything that has to do with the Christian religion. And if we follow those instructions... Given, given in here, if we follow the instructions to do those three things given in the word, the promise is heaven. 
right? The promises to be back into the presence of God. And so I want to talk about, I want to dive into maybe some more specific instructions that we receive from Jesus that we need to implement into our lives and what the promise from that looks like. All right, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And one reason I like a wireless mic is it's so much easier to flip through a Bible when you have a wireless mic. I'm just letting you all know. So we'll get there at some point in time today. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. And I'll start reading. This is when Jesus calls his first disciples. Matthew chapter 4. Verses 18 to 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he, he being Jesus, he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the instruction here is to follow Jesus. One of the most simple instructions, and, I, and, and simple doesn't mean easy, but it is a simple instruction, follow me. The promise, I will make you fishers of men and so what we find out about this is that we all have a purpose and a calling in our lives right because being a fisher of men which we're all called to be we're all called to make disciples right and in Matthew in the great commission we're all called to make disciples Jesus is going with us as we, as we baptize people of all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples of everybody, right? That, that's what we're doing. So we're all called to follow him, and we're all called to be fishers of men. And Jesus takes this into their context because just, just here, they're, they're literally fishing. They're, they're casting nets at this time. And Jesus is like, listen, I'm going to take you out of this boat, and I'm going to put you on land, and you're no longer fishing for water fish. Amphibians, is that right? I don't know. My, is that maybe? What are fish? Are they amphibians? Fish is their own class? You learn something every day, folks. My goodness. Wow. That, that's, um, that is K through 12 plus five years of college right there. That's what you get. Fish. Fish are fish. Fish are friends, not food, right? Going back to, uh, what is that, Nemo? Nemo. Is that the, okay, good, okay, good, good, good. We're getting somewhere, we're getting somewhere. Um, so he says, I'm going to take you out of the boat. You're no longer fishing for fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men, and I want you to fish for these men and, and women, and I want you to make them follow me. So this is the love, help others love God, right? Here we are. And so we're instructed to follow Jesus, which gives us a purpose and a calling in our lives. For some people, it may be a mortician. For some people, it may be a waitress. For some people, it may be a youth pastor. Whatever that looks like, God is calling you to be a fisher of men. He's instructing you to follow him, and he's, gonna, and he's promising you to make you a fisher of men. If you follow Jesus, the promise is that he will lead people into your lives because he wants you to witness to them to bring them closer to him 
That's the promise. He will lead people to you. He will lead you to people. Vice versa, it doesn't matter. There will be people that enter your life and you will enter people's lives who need to meet Jesus. And the instruction is to follow him and the promise is that he will make you a fisher of men. And so the other promise is that he's going to grow his kingdom through you. You are a, a kingdom builder. That is part of the purpose of your life is to grow the kingdom, help others love God. And so if you follow the simple instruction of following Jesus, the promise becomes you are a kingdom builder. Okay? So here is a second one. John 4. Meet me in John 4. And we'll sit there for a minute if I get there with this single hand. John 4, verses 46 through 53, and I'll begin reading. So he, being Jesus, so he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill, when this man heard that Jesus had came from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Verse 53. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live, and he himself believed and all of his household. So here there's no real specific instruction from Jesus that necessarily applies to us, right? Jesus is not always saying to us, go, your son will live, but there's a concept behind this. And the concept is that we're instructed to trust Jesus. Because he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He later says, go for your son will live. And sometimes that is really, really hard to, to trust Jesus, right? Especially when we're asking for a miracle. Put yourself in this guy's shoes, right? He, he, he hears about all the healings that Jesus has done up until this point, turning water into wine and healing people as he goes throughout Galilee and Capernaum. And in most of the situations, what, am I, okay, good, there's a button, um, sorry, um, there are healings that happen, and in those healings, Jesus is, is touching people, he's laying hands on people, um, I don't know if we're there yet, he's, he's rubbing spit in people's eyes, so he's, he's actually, he's actually in the presence of the people that he's healing, and we get to this instance, 
and he says, go, your son will live. So Jesus doesn't even go with him, but he tells him to go because his son's going to live. And so the instruction there is to trust Jesus. But that's hard because he's not even coming with me. Can you imagine what's going through this man's head? He's like, listen, I've heard of all the miracles and all the signs that you've performed up to this time. And, and most everything has been, you're, you're there, you're with me, you're, you're touching somebody. And yet you're just telling me to go without actually going with me? Like, how, how does that even make sense? And to us, it, it, it doesn't. Like, and we don't even have that opportunity for Jesus to physically walk beside us going from, from Ashborough to Randleman as we walk back. Or we don't walk nowadays, but they were walking. Um, at, he wouldn't get in my car with me in the passenger seat. You know what? Jesus can drive my car. That's fine. We, I wouldn't get in the passenger seat of my car and drive with Jesus, right? Like we can't do that nowadays, but we have the Holy Spirit with us. Um, but we have this instruction to trust Jesus go your son will live and sometimes that can be really hard but we are called to believe without seeing we're instructed to trust Jesus we're called to believe without seeing that's the instruction and the promise is that God's timing is perfect if we read on right we're here he says so as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour. This is verse 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So, Jesus, so, so we're called to, to trust Jesus and trust his timing. And the promise is that his timing is going to be perfect. I think this speaks to, I believe this speaks to trusting his timing because we know, we, we know that Jesus, that this kid could have died and Jesus could have raised him from the dead. Like we know that, we see that happen with Lazarus, right? We know that Jesus could have done that. But, but it doesn't say that the son is dead. It just says that he's falling ill and he's probably, and this kid is probably going to die. Like the medical attention they had back in the day was like nothing basically and so this kid probably could have would have ended up dying right and so who knows if on the way back with Jesus walking with this guy back to his house right let's say the son died now we know we know that Jesus could have raised him from the dead but instead he says go your son will live and then the man has to go trusting Jesus and it ends up being that God's timing is perfect because he says the new the guy knew that that was the exact hour that Jesus said go for your son will live and so he never even had the opportunity to fall dead he never had the opportunity to go all the way dead from his illness right because Jesus says go your son will live and right then at that moment as soon as that father turned his back to walk away, trusting Jesus, saying, go, your son will live. He began to get healed. He began to recover from his illness. And so God may be giving you an instruction to, to trust him with, with whatever circumstance it may be, whether that be with a job, whether that be with a relationship, and, and it doesn't have to be with a spouse, but it could be some, a, fa a family member. 
trusting him with a, a move, trusting him with you, your finances, right? That can be a very touchy subject. So God may be calling you to trust him with all these things, and, and you always hear like, God's going to provide for you. God's going to provide. Like, like we push that from, like sometimes we push that from the platform and sometimes we push it too much. And it's not to say that God can't provide for you, but a lot of times our expectations of God providing for us are misconstrued. Like we expect God to provide for us um, in ways that aren't necessarily biblical, right? But God may, be, God may be calling you to trust him with something. And until you actually surrender that, and actually begin to trust him with that relationship, that move, that finance, until you actually begin to start trusting him with that, you may not see that promise because he's waiting on your trust before the timing of his promise comes to you. Okay? So, um, one more point. We'll go to John 14. I'm just going to talk, I just want to talk to you about the, the instructions that Jesus has in this life. So, one, we have uh, to follow Jesus, the instruction to follow Jesus. Two, we have the instruction to, tr- to trust Jesus. And then we come to John 14, verse 21, and this is what it reads. John 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So, whoever has my commandments and keep them, he it is who loves me. So we know, that this, is, this, is some, this is some assurance of salvation stuff, right? He it is who loves If we keep the commandments of God, he tells us ourselves that, that he knows that we love him, right? And, and, we, and we have the commandments given in the Old Testament, given in the New Testament, right? Love God, love others, help others love God. That, that basically encapsulates everything that we could do. If you're loving God, you're living right, right? If you're loving others, you're treating people right. And if you're helping others love God, you're making disciples, right? We've already covered that. So if you are doing those three things, right, you, you're, you're keeping his commandments. And he knows that he loves you. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So, if we keep the commandments of God, simply, if we simply keep the commandments of God, love God, love others, help others love God, if we do that, then it is promised that we will be loved by the Father. And so when we choose to follow his instruction, the preceding promise becomes inevitable so God promises you something whatever that may be maybe that's better finances or, or maybe that fills a gap in your finances maybe that fills a hole in a relationship that you that you have a problem with right or maybe it's it's a job okay whenever you receive that promise and you follow the instruction of keeping his commandments and loving him then once you do that, that promise becomes inevitable. God's not going to promise you something and then instruct you to do something to get the promise and then abandon you from that promise. So when you decide to follow Jesus and you get the promise of heaven, right, God's not going to abandon that promise, 
Right? And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to preach once saved, always saved. I'm not trying to say that it's not once saved, always saved, right? We, um, we're getting into a touchy subject right up here. Um, either way, all I'm saying is um, he's not going to take a promise away that you follow his instruction on. Okay? And, and maybe we don't have to look at it from a, a, a point of salvation, right? We can look at it from, uh, on a smaller scale from finances and relationships and, and jobs and, and whatnot. But if you follow that instruction, the promise will not be taken away. And so loving God and keeping his words will reveal him in the clearest to us, right? At the very end, it says, I will love him and manifest myself to him. God is going to reveal, or Jesus is going to reveal himself to us all the more. So the, the more we follow, the more we love, the more we heed his instructions and we receive his promises, the more we come to learn about who it is that this Jesus guy really is. And we learn about what he's really all about. No longer it does it no longer is it this this good old this good old country boy, Randolph County theology, where, oh, if I treat people right and I have a chain in the back of my truck and I hook it up when somebody's stuck in a ditch, right? Like, oh, that gets me into heaven. No, it doesn't. Our, our theology of, of how we get into heaven becomes, goes from good acts and good deeds to actually loving Jesus because when he manifests, when he manifests himself to us, when he reveals himself to us, we know more clearly what it looks like to follow him. We know more clearly what it looks like to love him, love others, and how clearly it looks to help others love him. And we can't pour out when we're not filled up anyways. If I'm not filled up with Jesus, if, if I'm not trying to read this word and trying to reveal, look, this is the best revelation of Jesus that we can have. Right? You're, you're not... You're not your vision, if you have visions or, or, or whatever, your visions, as long as they line up with Scripture, cool, whatever. Um, but if your visions are outside of the Word of Christ, then your visions are wrong. Sorry, this, this, is, this is final authority for us. And so if you're not in this Word, you're really not trying to get Jesus to reveal himself to you even more. And so we are instructed to love him and obey him and the promise is that he's going to reveal himself to us all the more and that is beautiful when Jesus reveals himself to you all the more your life is changed always for the better your relationships are changed always for the better how you look at life in being content with your circumstances changes always for the better. And I'm not preaching like prosperity. I'm not going to say like your finances are going to grow. Your, your finances may not get better, but your contentment with your, your being content with your finances is going to get better. You're going to learn what, what it looks like to, to tithe and to put that first because that's putting God first. You're going to look like, it's, it's going to look like putting your spouse first when you need to put your spouse first. Learning how to step back away from a job when it's hurting a relationship. Learning how to step into a job when it looks like you're about to lose it, right? Because God, God gives us these instructions with these promises that he's not going to take away. And so we have those three 
instructions from Jesus, and that's not all. There's more. If you, if you read through the Bible, you'll see all sorts of instructions, all sorts of promises, and every single one of the promises is absolutely beautiful. But here's three. Follow Jesus, trust Jesus, love and obey Jesus. And God gives these instructions to all people. And following these instructions separates those who are Christians and those who live Christ-centered lives. Because everybody in this room can raise their hand and say that they're a Christian, but I, I would hesitate and I would be nervous if everybody in this room raised their hand and said that they were living Christ-centered lives. There's a difference. There's a difference in being a Christian and putting Jesus at the very center of your life and, and absolutely surrendering to his will and absolutely living into his love. There's a difference. And so following just these, just these three instructions, right, and, and there's many more. Like I said, go read. Um, but following these three separates the Christians from the Christ-centered. I don't have this verse, but Proverbs 16.20 says that whoever listens to his instructions prosper. Once again, I'm not trying to preach prosperity. And those who trust him will be joyful. There's where I want to, there's where I want to hone in on. Joyful. You'll be able to find joy in all your circumstances when you trust Jesus. When you heed his instruction, his promise is, is joy. So... You may be lacking something in your life. And you may be looking for a promise from God. And some, some people may just, be, may just be looking for it and wanting to get it without listening to any sort of the instruction that he has. Some people may see the promise that he has for you and you see the instruction and you want to do it, but you're just too scared to do it. Some people are just too lazy to do it. Some people see the promise and just like, I just want the promise. I don't want to work for the promise. Some people see the promise and, and they're just scared of the promise. Like they, they just, they don't want to do it because they're scared. Some people don't want to do it because they're nervous. Some people want to do it because they're anxious. Some people don't want to do it because they're too proud. I like, my, I like my life the way it is. I don't want you to change it, but I want, your, I want your promises, right? Some people have those mentalities. But the problem is that the promise isn't going to come unless you heed the instructions of Jesus. 